So uh, this morning I was in Compton. Now I'm in Westwood, and I'm uh, very, very happy to be here. I'm excited about what God is doing in and through this uh, community. And I uh, just want to let you know, I come from the African-American church tradition, all right? And there are a couple of things that we do in the African-American church tradition, all right? When the pastor is preaching in the African-American church tradition, he's not the only one preaching. The audience preaches too. So, so, so just one time real quick, can I hear a hearty amen? Now, can I hear a hearty preach pastor? preach pastor? Come on, say it with some swag. Preach pastor. Preach pastor. There you go. There you go. There you go. Now, another thing that we tend to do is we tend to talk to our neighbor while service is going on. So can you just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, don't be mean to me today. I might talk to you a little bit. All right. All right. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Amen. All right. Okay. All right. Again, thank you, Pastor Devin, for this amazing invitation. Um, not only are we growing uh, in friendship together, but uh, I sense that our churches will be linked together for greater kingdom impact. Um, there's a text that I want to lift. It's in Matthew chapter 13. And if you'll just indulge me for a second and just stand, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a custom that we do at my church when we read the word of God. Um, and it's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. There we go. Thank you. Uh-oh. That's a little bit too much. Thank you. All right. Matthew 13, 44. Just this one verse. Matthew 13, Matthew 13, 44. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I'm going to read it one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. For the next few moments, I just want to talk to you from the subject, there's a fortune hidden in the field. All right, you guys can take your seats. There's a fortune hidden in the field. Can we just whisper a real quick word of prayer? Father, open our eyes, open our hearts. Help us to receive what you have to say to us through this passage. We realize the flower is going to fade and the grass is going to wither, but it is your word that stands forever. So help us to stand underneath your word. We don't want to stand above your word in scrutiny and judgment, but we want to stand underneath your word in humility and openness. Thank you for each and every person in this place. May, be, may, may we grow by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're, uh, we're examining a lesser known yet extremely profound parable of Jesus. Uh, now, throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus utilized parables to communicate truths about the kingdom in inaccessible ways. Parables were simply uh, earthly stories told by Jesus to convey uh, a heavenly message. And there are about 35 of Jesus' parables recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Earlier in the text, in uh, Matthew 13, 10, 
Jesus was asked by his disciples why he spoke in parables. And this is what, what Jesus said, starting in uh, Matthew 13, actually 11. It says, he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So according to, to Jesus, his use of parables had a twofold purpose. Number one, he told parables to reveal the truth to those who wanted to know it. And number two, he told parables to conceal the truth from those who were indifferent. So Jesus' parables were and are nuggets of enlightenment, wisdom, and truth to those who believe, and they were and are stumbling blocks and heart hardeners to those that don't. Matthew chapter 13, our chapter this morning, is a chapter that's chalked full of these parables. In this chapter, in verses 1 through 9, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. In verses 24 through 30, Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the tares. In verses 31 through 33, Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Then, here in verse 44, Jesus shares this obscure and easily overlooked parable we're examining this morning. He starts off in verse 44 by referring to the kingdom of heaven. So in order to go forward, we, we have to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. We've got to define our terms here. Because a lot of times, like, when we think about the kingdom of heaven, we, we think about this, like, ethereal, cloud-filled, gold-paved, like, final destination Christians inherit after we die. We tend to hear the word heaven and that's sort of where our minds automatically go however the phrase kingdom of heaven evokes an old testament concept that only the gospel writer matthew employs and matthew employs it to convey something to his primarily jewish audience that's much broader than simply a final resting home in the sky the kingdom of heaven really has a threefold definition broadly speaking the kingdom of heaven is the rule of our eternal sovereign God over all creation and the universe. Psalm uh, 103.19 puts it like this, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Not some, but all. Our God is completely in control and the earth and the fullness thereof is under the rule and ultimate governance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, <laughs> more narrowly, the kingdom of heaven is also a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. While God is sovereign over all creation and the universe, Jesus said in John 18, 36, that his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus also said to the Pharisees in Luke 17, 20, and 21 that the kingdom of God, so the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous terms. He says the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So there is this sense that God's kingdom 
is set up within the hearts of those who trust in the Son, and God rules supremely in and through the hearts of his people. And of course, ultimately, the kingdom of heaven refers to when Christ comes back, judges the living and the dead, and then sets up his physical and tangible reign for all eternity. Now, if you wanted to define the term kingdom of heaven in, in simply a sentence, it would be every domain over which the sovereign God of the universe rules, reigns, and governs. Can I say that one more time? Every domain over which the sovereign God of the universe rules, reigns, and governs. So in reality, every human being exists under the authority of God's universal kingdom. This is why every human being will ultimately be judged by God, because we're all accountable to him as our creator. However, it's only by trusting in Christ that one receives citizenship within this spiritual kingdom and ultimate residency within his end-time eternal kingdom. This is the kingdom of heaven in a nutshell. Now, notice in verse 44 what Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. So Jesus likens the kingdom to a treasure. Now, now, now think with me. This treasure, according to this parable, is hidden in the field. And if it's a treasure hidden in a field, then that means the value of the kingdom of heaven, the worth of the kingdom of heaven is going to be missed and unseen by most people. It means most people will not discern, acknowledge, or become aware of the exceeding riches of the kingdom because it's not lying in plain view. It's not easily recognizable. According to the parable, it's hidden. This reality of the hidden worth of the kingdom should make all who are citizens of this kingdom okay with being perpetually misunderstood and labeled as misfits. We should be okay with it. Because hear me, those outside of the kingdom, they don't see what those within the kingdom see. Those outside of the kingdom do not get nor understand those within the kingdom. They are baffled and perplexed by us. Those outside of the kingdom don't see why those within the kingdom refuse to operate as independent and self-governing beings. They don't understand why we don't operate as if we're the captains of our own ship and the masters of our own existence. They don't see it. They don't understand why we willfully stop at a few drinks instead of getting sloppy drunk like everyone else. They don't understand why we refuse to be evil and vindictive right back at the very people that are being evil and vindictive with us. They don't understand why we won't cut corners and cheat a little bit like everyone else is doing in the office. They don't understand why we don't say certain words with our mouths or we don't do certain things with our bodies like everyone else. They don't understand why we don't act a fool when we get mad. It's not because we can't. 
Okay, it's not because we can't throw them like we can we can put the dupes up when it's necessary, but we don't do that like everyone else. They don't understand why we won't pop a few illegal pills or smoke weed when we stress like everyone else. They don't understand why we refuse to gossip and talk behind people's backs like everyone else. They don't understand why we refuse to visit certain websites or hang out at certain social spots like everyone else. They don't understand it. But those within the kingdom understand it just fine. Those within the kingdom know that there is a God in heaven. And this God created all things. And as creator, he has the right to set the rules. As creator, he has the right to create the standards. He has the right to determine our boundaries. He has the right to allocate the requirements. And he has the right to make the policies. And since he has the right to do it, we, his people, have the responsibility to comply with the king's decrees. Those outside of the kingdom don't see the value in this type of disciplined life. But those within the kingdom live with two words on their lips and in their conscience. And those two words are simply, yes, Lord. If you want me to go right instead of left, yes, Lord. If you want me to love somebody that's unlovable, yes, Lord. If you want me to give my life for the gospel, move to a foreign country where my life may be endangered for the sake of the gospel, yes, Lord. If you want me to evangelize in a place where everybody is atheist, agnostic, and I might be ridiculed, ostracized, and laughed at, yes, Lord. If you want me to keep my body until I meet my husband or my wife, yes, Lord. Those within the kingdom have joy when we utter those two words, yes, Lord, because the last time I checked, Jesus the Christ is worthy of our yes. Would you guys agree with me this morning that Jesus the Christ, when you think about all he's done for you, when you think about the blood he shed on Calvary's mountain, when you think about how he has given you life and breath and the ability to move and the activity of your limbs, then you have to come to the conclusion that if I'm going to say yes to anybody, it may not be my professor, it may not be my friend, it may not be somebody even in this room, but it will be to Jesus because Jesus is worthy of my yes so 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 watch the parable the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure it's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy so 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 let's let's stop right there so so follow the parable man finds the treasure that others cannot see he recognizes the immeasurable value of the treasure. He instantly sees how priceless and invaluable this treasure is. And after he finds the treasure and he sees what others do not see, he immediately gets joy in his heart. He gets joy in his heart over something that's hidden and not evident to other people. I imagine this man in the parable running off after finding the treasure and he's giddy. He's, he's smiling from ear to ear. He's singing and he's shouting. And I imagine someone coming up to him and asking, what's going on? What's up? What happened to you? What, what does somebody do to you? Why are you so joyful? And I imagine the man in this parable saying, you, you really wouldn't understand. 
Because if I took you back to what I found, all you would see is a field. But just know, and this is actually a, a, a phrase we often say in the African-American church tradition. I imagine this, this, this man that's found this treasure says this. He, he looks at the person and says, just know this joy that I found, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. And it's right here that I need to pause, Commons, because, because I need to say that if you're a citizen of the kingdom, you may not have a lot of money, you may not have a lot of friends, you may not have a lot of clothes, a lot of jewelry, a lot of status, but if you found Jesus and he's granted you access to the kingdom by faith, you should have a lot of joy. You should have a lot of joy. Why, Pastor Isaiah? Because if you found Jesus, you found something more valuable than a million dollars. If you found Jesus, you found something more valuable than all the fame and popularity in the world. If you found Jesus, you found something more valuable than, than Louis Vuitton or, or, or Salvatore Ferragamo. Let, let me tell you what you found if you found Jesus. If you found Jesus, you found a well that won't run dry. If you found Jesus, you found a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you found Jesus, you found the solution to your sin problem. If you found Jesus, you found the lover of your soul. If you found Jesus, you found a doctor in a sick room. If you found Jesus, you found a lawyer in the courtroom. If you found Jesus, you found shelter from the storm. If you found Jesus, you found a heart fixer, a mind regulator, a bridge over troubled water, a way maker, a problem solver, a yoke destroyer, a burden bearer, a heavy load sharer. Is there anybody that can admit I found everything I needed when I found Jesus? And because now that you found Jesus, you can say, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses and land. Will you look at your neighbor real quick? Come on, I told you you are going to talk to your neighbor and say, neighbor, all I need is Jesus. And because I found Jesus, I found all I need. How many of you guys can agree with that statement? That your heart is satisfied. Your mind is content because you found Jesus. But there's another implication about this joy that has this man in the parable elated. This man's joy also implies that the self-control, discipline, and obedience displayed by the kingdom citizen is not rendered to God out of mere compulsion. The joy that the man in the parable expresses implies that what kingdom citizens do for the king isn't done out of monotonous routine and cold servitude. It shows that's what, that, that what's done for the king isn't done strictly out of obligation, but it's done out of jubilation. The kingdom citizen doesn't just submit to God's will and God's way out of commitment. The kingdom citizen also submits to God's ways and God's will out of enjoyment. If you're a kingdom citizen, you take pleasure in pleasing God. If you're a kingdom citizen, you rejoice in honoring God. If you're a kingdom citizen, nothing makes your heart more glad than hearing the Father say those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So here's the grim reality. Here's the grim reality in light of the implications of this parable. 
if you grumble and complain as you're obeying God, if you soak and pout as you're obeying God, if you whine and kick and scream as you're obeying God, then it could, it could possibly mean that uh, you may have found religion, but you haven't really found Jesus. Because religion is all about duty to God. All right. That's why you can go to some churches, come to mind. You may even see some some unruly ushers, some some dirty deacons. You may some see some some petty preachers, some maniacal ministers, because because religion is all about. I'm going to do it even if I don't like it. I'm going to do it. And I, the, the entire time will I do it? I'm going to have a look on my face like I've been baptized in lemon juice and I'm just going to do it because this is what I've been doing for 40 years. But hear me. Jesus isn't just about duty to God. He's all about love for God. And when you find Jesus, your love for God becomes the motivator behind your duty for God. Obeying him brings you joy. It brings you jubilation and happiness. Now, the end of the parable is profoundly countercultural. Because the end of the parable says, this man finds a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So, so, so follow it. This man runs home after finding the treasure. It's full of joy and glee. This man, once he gets home, he starts getting every visible, valuable thing he has. So if it was the 21st century, he gets home and he gets his Harley Davidson. He gets his golf clubs, his flat screen TVs, his jewelry, his suit collection, all his autograph memorabilia, his PlayStation, all his electronics. He gets all this stuff. And his friends see him gathering all this stuff and they're curious. So they ask him, what you doing, bro? Like, what's up? And he responds, he says, I'm getting all this stuff because I'm going to sell it. So his friends say, wait, 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 okay, that, that's, that's a lot of stuff that you're selling, so what are you going to purchase? You, you, you must be buying a new house, or you must be buying a boat, or you, know, you must be buying like a, a grand trip around the world. What, what are you buying? And the man responds, you know that field about a mile from here? I'm going to buy that field. So the friend the friends pause and they look at the man with confusion. They say, wait a minute. Uh, that field is worthless. It's dry. Its soil is damaged. That field has an infestation problem. There's a stench coming from that field. The field has all types of problems. Why would you give up all of these priceless items you've worked so hard for to buy that stinking, barren, abandoned field? Here's what the man would say as he looks at his friends with a gleam in his eyes. He'd say, I'm sacrificing all of this because I've discovered something you cannot see. And what I've discovered is more valuable than any of these things you do see. And therein lies the crux of the parable. The value of the kingdom is only discernible to those that find it. And those that don't find it ascribe inordinate value to things that may be nice, 
but ultimately worthless compared to what the kingdom offers. This is why Jesus said things like, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is why Jesus said things like, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole wide world and forfeit his soul? This is why the British missionary to China, C.T. Studd, wrote a poem. And the poem says, oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world, now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what you've done for Christ will last. As I close my talk, I think of a song by Alicia Keys. You guys know who Alicia Keys is, right? The song is called A Woman's Worth. And I can't give all the lyrics because we're in church. But the beginning of the song says, you can give me diamonds. You can buy me pearls. Take me on a cruise around the world. And then she says, baby, you know I'm worth it. She's saying that sacrificing these things, giving extravagant gifts, going the extra mile to please and satisfy her is really the only logical thing to do because at the end of the day, she's worth it. It's really not a loss or a trip into the hole because she's worth it. And I want to speak to all the kingdom citizens this morning, and I want to say sometimes the Lord will ask you to sacrifice your comfort to carry out his commission. But we should do it on a, with a smile on our face. Why? Because he's worth it. Sometimes the Lord will call you to walk away from things and people in order to walk with him more closely. This should be done willingly and joyfully. Why? Because he's worth it. Sometimes the Lord will call you to take a stand that may jeopardize your life or your livelihood. The world will tell you, don't do it. But that's when you have to remind yourself he's worth it. And I want to know if there are any people in this church this morning that have tasted and tried Jesus for themselves. And you could testify, Jesus is worth it. He's worth my money. He's worth my time. He's worth my effort. He's worth my very life. In the final estimation, the world may not understand it. My classmates may not understand it. My friends don't understand why I give up my Sunday morning to sit in church with other people who are looking to Jesus, but I understand it just fine. He's worth it. And that is the statement that lives in our hearts, in our conscience, and on our lips as we navigate this very dangerous and lost culture. I give because he's worth it. I fight because he's worth it. I love my enemies because he's worth it. I put my flesh in subjection because he's worth it. There is nothing more valuable or priceless than the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross. 
There is nothing more valuable or priceless than the gospel that, that has Jesus exchanging the righteousness he earned for the unrighteousness that we indulge in. There's nothing more glorious and priceless than knowing that as a result of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and this free offer that if you repent and trust in him alone, he will give you eternal life, a relationship with the Father. There's nothing more priceless because when you say yes to Jesus, you get something more than fame, fortune, money. You get Jesus. And he's worth it. So I want to thank you this morning. Pastor Devin, I'm, I'm ready for the questions. <laughs>